Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today... At long last, I'm having the follow-up to my conversation with Dr. Sharon Malone, who is an expert in menopause. She and I started talking a couple of weeks ago. You can listen to that episode. And then today, I just pulled out the part that I thought was so fascinating. It's the association between perimenopause and brain functioning. And I'm so obsessed with this because I had no idea what a huge role estrogen played in our brain. As we move through this time in life, reminding you that the transition to menopause can last up to 10 years. So we're talking about this wide window of time during which many of us have tweens or teenagers who themselves are experiencing changes in their brain development. And I found it so fascinating that in concert with that, we might be dealing with our own changes in our brain and how we can best deal with that. Information is so key. So I'll tell you that the reason why I got so excited about this was because I was at a menopause conference and I was supposed to be giving a talk about the pause that we take to self-regulate. And it was meant to be part of a larger conversation about all sorts of changes and what's occurring in our brains and bodies during this time. And all I was charged with talking about was self-regulation because that's my lane. And as I was about to go and speak on this stage, I heard someone else speaking. I heard Dr. Sharon Malone. And Dr. Sharon Malone is among the nation's leading obstetrician gynecologists with a focus on the specific health challenges associated with menopause. Dr. Malone brings decades of clinical and real-life experience to her treatment of women in menopausal transition and the post-reproductive years. She was really inspiring and blew my mind. In addition, a researcher named Dr. Lisa Mascone was also speaking. And what I found mind-blowing is that she had originally started her work looking at Alzheimer's, She noticed that for every three Alzheimer's patients, two are women, even after accounting for women's greater longevity than men, in case you were wondering, women still outnumber men two to one in the Alzheimer's population. And so she devoted her research to unraveling the causes of the increased risk in women. 
and started these brain imaging studies that have demonstrated a link between estrogen declines and increased Alzheimer's risk. And that is a whole other conversation that we're going to dive into today. And what was startling to me and also so important for us to just keep in mind is that was also the first time I'd ever paid attention to brain images of women's brains during this transition. I'm so used to thinking about young brains. But what I will tell you is that when we talk about this in this episode, we're talking about how if you were looking at a premenopausal brain and a menopausal brain, you can see the parts that are lit up. You can see that the frontal cortex is not as lit as it is before menopause. And so what what do you do when you think about adolescents who do not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex? Well, one thing is you have compassion. You recognize that the part of the brain that is in charge of a whole lot of decision-making and planning and self-regulation is not fully developed. It's one of the last parts to mature, and it's the area that is responsible for skills that we really call on in this time in our life as adults. We know that we have to be compassionate with teenagers because the skills of planning, prioritizing, making good decisions, the the space that you can capture before you set off your emergency alarm and things that can affect mood. Those are all things we take into account with teenagers when we're deciding how to communicate, when we're thinking about what they're going through, when we can figure out what are developmentally appropriate expectations, what are the things that we can help them do to exercise those muscles. We have to do the same thing for ourselves during this wide window of time when our brains are changing. So it's even more important to have self-compassion it's even more important to do the things that are going to help your day. It's even more important to lean into healthy routines. It's even more important to have physical activity. It's even more important for your mental health to make sure that you get proper sleep, proper exercise, that you're doing all of the things to set yourself up to better respond to the world in the context of these challenges. So that blew my mind. We have to be able to treat ourselves with at least as much compassion as we can give to our children because we know that their brains are developing. We also need to give ourselves a little bit of grace there and do things that can best support what's going on for us. So this is why I wanted to separate this part of the conversation out. This is why I wanted to have extra time to dedicate to talking about the menopausal transition and the brain, because it's not just about what you can do to help support your brain, given all this new information. It's also about what you can do to support yourself and treat yourself in a way that helps you understand if you're flying off the handle more often, if you're having mood swings, if you're struggling to remember where your car keys are, if you're struggling to fall asleep and stay asleep, if you're feeling some heightened reactions to things, there are ways to respond to that and to support you in this transition 
So that's what we're here to talk about today. I highly encourage anybody who is interested in this to continue to look for resources like Dr. Sharon Malone, who can help you navigate this so it doesn't take you on by surprise and have daily practices in your life like meditation and mindfulness practices and other ways to imagine how to really care for your prefrontal cortex because it needs a lot of support right now. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to write a little review. You can subscribe to my premium podcast on Apple for separate content that's only available on Apple Podcasts. Right now, it's all about sleep from infancy to adolescence and even for ourselves. And of course, if you have any questions, I can hopefully answer them on Instagram or on my Substack, drlisapressman.substack.com. I'm here for you and on Instagram or on my Substack, drlisapressman.substack.com. I'm here for you. I'm trying to make sure that I find different ways to reach you and support you because this is the kind of stuff that makes it a lot easier for us to be informed and take care of ourselves, our families, and each other. Okay, so now I need to talk to you about the brain and estrogen. Yes. (laughs) Because this blew my mind. So I think about the brain constantly, but I think about younger brains. And I often have to explain that when you're thinking about your adolescent or responding to your adolescent, or even your toddler tantrums, that part of the reason why you're seeing behaviors and reactions that are so powerful is because the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and it doesn't fully develop until 18 to late 20s. And Therefore, you, of course, don't have the self-regulatory capacity of a fully developed brain. And, you know, you could sell people on that because it's very known and you can have a lot more grace with your kids and you can give yourself a little bit more grace with, you know, not blaming yourself because you think that it's your fault that all these things are going on. When I saw the photographs of a women's brains at different points in their adult life. And the frontal cortex was lit up different in perimenopause. I was blown away because it looked to me, and I really don't, I didn't, I haven't talked to anybody about this because I didn't have a chance, Mm -hmm. but it looked to me very familiar It looked like a brain that was going to have a lot more trouble with self-regulation, a lot more trouble getting back to zero, a lot more, you know, vulnerable to the mental health challenges that we see in adolescents, for example. And not for nothing, it doesn't feel unfamiliar to the description that you hear from women when they're in this, you know, my age, this our middle age is very much susceptible to this conversation. And I don't understand how this has not been talked about amongst folks in these different, you know, who look at brains at different ages. Mm -hmm. But what also blew my mind was the, so that's one thing is just understanding what is going on with the brain. 
And then the other part of that is, can you please explain how estrogen may in fact support what happens to the brain and what we then look at later when we talk about Alzheimer's risk? Yes. Yes. It's interesting because, you know, there's certain things, you know, they're, they're so obvious that you don't think about it. Now, the, yeah. the, the notion that hormones affect your brain is intuitively obvious to everyone who's ever been around another human being, you know, right. as, as we said, you're, when, when the hormone levels start to, you know, shoot up in adolescence and puberty, we see what ha- we know what behavior looks like. We know what yeah. behavior looks like, you know, in pregnancy, you know, women, right. because again, all, any of these situations where you have huge shifts in your hormones, some women will feel better. Some women complain of being foggy and having pregnancy brain. It's when these huge hormonal shifts are going on. Once you are postpartum, and again, there's a shift where your estrogen levels were very high and now they're very low postpartum depression kicks in or baby blues, even when it's not diagnosed as full-blown depression. Women understand that, you know, how long it took for them to realize or to acknowledge that premenstrual syndrome was a thing because your hormones are different the week before your period than they are when you get your period. So even though you don't need a, a randomized study to do that, you just like look at people and what's going on in their lives when, they're pre- when their brains start to react differently. The same thing is happening in perimenopause. It's these shifts, these, these rapid hormonal shifts that are going on. You have estrogen receptors in your brain. You know, the whole reason why when you get to perimenopause and some of the symptoms that we didn't talk about, you know, there's the brain fog, but there's also increase in anxiety and depression for women who are going through this perimenopausal transfer. So it seems obvious on its face that, yes, something must be going on with estrogen in your brain. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor. Habit stacking is the idea that you can build a major habit by thinking small enough to get started. Think, keep a glass of water and your DSO1 daily symbiotic on your bedside table so you remember to take your symbiotic first thing every day. It's as simple as that. Now, I am a person who looks to habit stacking, not just for myself, but for my whole family, because we so often try to take on this enormous idea that is just too overwhelming. When you habit stack, you can make decisions that ultimately lead to making other healthier choices. Another way I do it is I leave a pen and a journal next to my bedside table. This leads me to remember to write down what I'm grateful for at the end of each day. So you can now picture my bedside table. I've got water. I've got my CDS01 glass jar right by my makeup remover so that I don't have eye makeup on. I don't forget to write in my journal. I don't forget to drink my water. And I take care of my gut health. Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for its benefits. 53.6 billion AFU. All you have to do is take two capsules once a day on an empty stomach. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash raising and use the code raising to redeem 30% off your first month of Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash raising 
and use the code RAISING. Every 11 seconds, an American baby gets a food allergy, but it doesn't need to be that way. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, and leading allergists all agree that introducing common food allergens earlier, like even at four months, is important for all babies. Ready Set Foods Early Allergen Introduction System takes the guesswork and stress out of doing something really important for the long-term health of your baby. May is Food Allergy Awareness Month, and Ready Set Food is on a mission to raise awareness of food allergies and the importance of early allergy introduction. Food allergies, as you probably have heard, are so on the rise every single year. And despite the research, we are so often afraid to give these common food allergens to our babies, even though it really offers later, even though it really ends up offering better outcomes. So Ready Set Food was developed by an allergist and mom of two to make it easy, safe, and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens like peanuts, eggs, and milk starting early. Visit readysetfood.com slash human to learn more about this and to get exclusive discounts on these amazing early allergen introduction products. That's readysetfood.com slash human. What Lisa Moscone, and that's where those images came from, the neuroscientists at, at Wild Cornell, who is the first person who's actually done research on perimenopausal brains, not just menopausal brain. No one has found this interesting to say, well, whoa, whoa, what is going on there? I cannot believe that. No, I mean, it's the mind blowing. And, and to date, there's still no large studies about perimenopause. Remember, all the stuff that we know from the Women's Health Initiative is about postmenopausal women, not right. perimenopausal women. But what she has found, she actually has taken what we know, you know in your heart that that's true, that estrogen somehow affects your brain, and she's taken a picture of it. So she has, she has looked at premenopausal women's brains. She's looked at that same woman when she is now perimenopausal, and again, will follow her through postmenopause. And what she has found is that the premenopausal brain looks different than the perimenopausal brain that's going through these hormonal shifts. And it affects, and where does it happen the most? In the prefrontal cortex area, in the areas that are responsible for memory, the areas responsible for mood. And, you know, and this is, we keep saying, oh, we don't know what, what a hot, what causes a hot flash or why you get hot flashes. You get a hot flash because you have a temperature regulation part in your brain that because the estrogen is no longer there is giving you false signals. It is telling you to cool off when it's 50 degrees outside. So, you know, wow. this notion that the, the brain and estrogen and hormones, there's some interplay there. Duh. You know, it's like we've known it, but now we need to see it. The other thing that she found, which was very interesting, is that this link to Alzheimer's we know what Alzheimer's looks like after you've already got Alzheimer's. The brain shrinks and the and there are more of what are these called amyloid deposits, these abnormal proteins that get deposited in the brain. Now, we don't know why they're there or how they got there. But what she is finding that when you get to Alzheimer's, which normally happens to people in their late 60s or 70s and beyond, 
she's got images that show that those things start happening in perimenopause. Estrogen has an anti-inflammatory effect. And it, you know, so the things that are damaging your brain, it seems to be sort of a neuroprotective hormone. The other thing that we know is to be true, we can, you know, figure out why that's her job. But we know that women disproportionately suffer from Alzheimer's. And what is the difference between women and men? And it doesn't start to, these changes don't start to happen until perimenopause and menopause is because during, when we get to menopause, our hormones shut off abruptly at menopause. For men, it's more of a gradual decline in their testosterone levels because they decrease as well. But testosterone even metabolizes to estrogen. And that is something that men don't realize that, yeah, you have estrogen too. And so these effects, the not being, not having the protective effect and the anti-inflammatory effect of estrogen on female brain, that is the theory that we are, the hypothesis that we are trying to prove by saying, and so there will be studies that look at whether or not estrogen, and that's sort of our observation says that women who are on uh, hormone therapy do have a lower incidence of of developing Alzheimer's. And, you know, that's great news because again, if you can say that cardiovascular disease is decreased and you can prove that Alzheimer's is decreased, it almost is something that we cannot afford not to do. Because again, it disproportionately, two thirds of people with Alzheimer's are female, two thirds. So if you are a woman or you possess two X chromosomes, the likelihood Mm -hmm is that if you personally don't have Alzheimer's, you will be the caretaker of a parent or a spouse or a sibling who does get Alzheimer's. And so that is a tremendous stress burden on women as we age. So, you know, for all these reasons, I think that we have got to do better. We need more research. And I think that women have got to sort of wake up to this and realize that, you know, from a grassroots effort that we've got to get people to pay attention because, you know, imagine until the 1990s women, it was not mandated that women even be included in large clinical trials for medications and devices. And it was because, well, you know, the thought was, well, women are just little men, so we'll do them on men and then we'll just dose it down for your weight not taking into account that our physiology is different, our hormones are different, and we react differently to medications. And so the time is is past time that we sort of, you know, demand is like, yeah, we need to know this. And I will say, I will end on this note, unless you have other questions, is, and that is, that to me is the, tr- the tragedy, the true tragedy of discontinuing the Women's Health Initiative. Because as I said, it was stopped 21 years ago, it was started 30 years ago. Imagine if we had 30 years of data of following up on women, we would have some of the answers to the questions that we're still asking now. And now we don't. And we've got to come up with more innovative ways to study because we don't have another 30 years to answer no. the question. That's why Lisa's work in terms of looking at brain imaging or other markers for Alzheimer's is going to be important because we need to know it in the short time. We can't say, well, oh, great. You know, your, you know, your grandchildren will do better. And meanwhile, we're, right. 
that's sort of where we are with things now. And now a word from my sponsor, Every Plate. Every Plate provides plenty of delicious variety so you never get stuck in a cooking rut. And with 26 tasty and affordable recipes to choose from each week, it's easy to find something for everyone. Plus, delicious options all day long for up to 22 sides, snacks, desserts, and more. And you'll never have to worry about what's for dinner. They plan it for you. I am not skeptical about meal kits because I like ease and I am definitely not a great chef. So any help is great, but I was skeptical that it might be too expensive. But now I know that you can get the same deliciousness at a much lower price. So get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering the code humans149. That's everyplate.com slash podcast and enter the code humans149. That's up to a $110 value saved. So not only is it convenient, not only is it healthy, not only does it make life easier for you, it's also economic and effective. Everyplate.com slash podcast and enter the code humans149. It's easy to find something for everyone and you'll never have to worry about what's for dinner. Go for it. It's all so interesting and I find so mind-blowing. And yet, as you describe it, like, of course, of course. And I think it's heartening to know there, there's actions we can take. Mm-hmm. There are medications we can take. I think just even being aware that you're not crazy, that your executive right. function skills right. seem a little bit wonky right. in perimenopause. Right. And it's not, you're not making this up. You actually have your working memory isn't as good as it right. was. And it's not because you're losing your mind. It's just because our brains are changing. Right. And there are things that you can do to exercise those muscles and hormone replacement therapy right. and, and, and. But if we don't talk about this, because it's also like a whole other conversation is just like, why don't we talk about this amongst women? A lot of times when I do bring it up, people will go, well, I'm not there yet. Like it's sh- like, so what? If you're not there yet, you're going to be there. It, right. That, right. Menopause is not an optional activity. You know, it, you, <laughs> you have ovaries, you will be menopausal. Promise. You know, it is going to happen. But here's the other thing too, is that I think that we, to the extent that we do have conversations, sometimes women can be very discouraging to other women. You know, when you decide you want to do, you know, you may decide that hormone therapy is for me. Someone else may have tried something else. And if that works for them, and you know what I say, if that, whatever that thing is that you're doing, if that's working for you, yay. You know, I'm not trying to convince you, you know, if whatever you're doing is working and you're comfortable with that, that is your decision based upon your symptom profile, your health, whatever. Great. But you don't get to t- tell someone else who does not have that lived experience that they should just do what you do. I mean, that's just, you know, but that's what we do a lot. You know, you, oh, well, you should we just do it all. stop doing that. And or I do yoga and I'm fine. And I say, yay, good. I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> but yoga yeah, we work for everybody. It does work. Yes. We, we do tend to feel like, this is our lived experience. If I share it with you, 
this will fix everything. Right. And uh, what we need to do just is have conversations, right. support research, right. do the things that will help us. Right. But I do, I find it heartbreaking that even the conversation feels like icky and shameful and it's still not to you. It rolls off your tongue. <laughs> but you know what? We're changing the face. I, I think that it, it is helpful to change the face of menopause because I think that, you know, whatever image we have in our minds of perimenopausal and menopausal women, you know, you can't divorce that from the whole aging thing that women are trying to deal with at this right. point in their lives. But I think the more that people see and own menopause and you say, well, look at that woman, she's doing great. Or, you know, you're doing all the things that you could do, you know, years ago. I mean, not all of them, but most of them. <laughs> no, but I feel very much at the, at my you know, peak in many ways yeah. and feel like there's a future for so many exciting things to come. So we just need to change that right. narrative. Right. And, and let me say this, because I think it is important for women to know that menopause should be a good time in your life. You know, for many of us, you know, your children are leaving. Yay. You've either made decisions about what you want to do career-wise. You're never going to know more than you know in terms of wherever you are, your skill level, your, you know, your wisdom. It's, it is, you're at your peak. And to have other things like not feeling well and not sleeping and being depressed, to have those things get in the way of what should be the best time of your life the first time that you really do get to say, it's about me now. If that's getting in the way, then my goodness, I don't think you need any more reason to say that you deserve to feel better. However that is, because you're missing out on a third of your life and we can't have that. Thank you so much. You are such a gift to women. You are such a gift to make this something we can not only live with, but thrive with. Yeah. And I so appreciate this conversation and all of the work that you do. I hope it was helpful. And anytime if you want to have me back, we'll talk about some other things. When we find some, when we find some new stuff, hopefully we'll have some new stuff. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.